Welcome to the Christian Car Guy radio show, the talk show dedicated to helping Christians buy and sell cars by the book, not the blue book, not the orange book, but by God's book, the Bible. Call the Christian Car Guy with your questions, 1-866-34-TRUTH. That's 1-866-348-7884. What does being a Christian have to do with buying a car? You're about to find out. Here's your host, Robbie Dillmore. Hello, car people. Well, it's not Robbie Gilmore. It, this is Andy Vitek, and I'm with AutopartsNuts.com. You know, I've been given a great honor today, and that honor is to host the Christian Car Guy radio program. You know, Robbie asked me last week to help him with the show this week, and I'm grateful, you know, just to do that. But we need to keep Robbie's mom and family in, in our prayers here. Um, you know, we have such a content-packed show today. I'd like you to sit back, put the cruise control on, and enjoy the show. So no calls today, just information and a lot of content, and I think you're really going to enjoy it. But many of you may know me from being a guest on the Christian Car Guy program, or maybe you've seen us racing. But if not, let me tell you a little bit about myself, as well as this fantastic show that we have aligned for you today. I grew up in a small town outside of Scranton, Pennsylvania, and my brothers and I, always car guys. Over the years, I've restored, collected, over a thousand cars, as well as I've been racing for the last 25 years. You know, Auto Parts Nuts, my company, was formed by three partners. I met my partners, Roy and Jack, while racing the Rolex at Watkins Glen in New York, and this was years ago. Now, we came together, we started AutopartsNuts.com, and we've been on many radio programs, featured on Speed TV, we sponsored many race venues, but we wanted to start an auto parts company that would truly serve the car guy community. And this is owned by car guys, designed by car guys, and run by car guys. Now we supply parts to the Jesus labor of love through the Christian Car Guy radio program. Folks, is that awesome or what? I mean, when I, when I hear myself talk about the progression of Auto Parts Nuts, there's no doubt in my mind that God is alive and well. Well, today's show has evolved into a show about connections. Helping others has a ripple effect. So take note of the ripple effect that's illustrated today. Now, how about this? Today, I have a friend coming on at the bottom of the hour. That friend has one of the largest historic race museums in the world, not the country, in the world. Over 65 cars on display, over 50 years of collecting. His name is Dr. Fred Simeone. Fred is a neurosurgeon, and his foundation is the Simeone Museum. The Simeone Museum is considered a must-see attraction when visiting Philadelphia. Today, we're going to talk about one of my personal favorite cars at the museum, the 1964 Cobra Daytona. Now, years ago, funny story, guys, years ago, I was at a friend's party. And I look over, and there's Dr. Simeon. So I approached him, and I said, hey, Doc, what are you going to do with the CSX 2287? Dr. Simeon looked at me, then he turned to his friend that he was having a conversation with, and he said, this guy just quoted the serial number of my car. So Dr. Simeon at the time just acquired this Cobra. So my wife and I attended many functions down at Dr. Simeon's museum uh, over the past years. She can't believe the beauty, the history, and the way the cars are on display. If you plan to visit Philadelphia before you see the Liberty Bell or try a famous cheesesteak, plan on seeing the Simeon Museum for a jaw-dropping experience. And listen, folks, that leads me to my next guest. And that guest will be on the last segment of the show. I'm going to quote Carol Shelby himself. This was from an interview right before he died. He said, when I met Pete, 
He was living about 200 yards from Turn 9 at Riverside Raceway. I never met a man so enthusiastic about automobiles. For the first two years, Pete practically did everything at Shelby America. Guess who it is? That's right, folks. Our top-of-the-hour guest, the famous Peter Brock. Peter started as the design engineer at General Motors. He was 19 years old. Ten years later, he designed what is now known as the 63 Corvette Stingray. I mean, this was a totally new design for Corvette. Peter was Carroll Shelby's first paid employee. Peter also ran the Shelby School of High Performance Driving. Carroll Shelby asked Peter when he came out with the AC Cobra, he said, Peter, I need a, a Cobra that's going to beat the Ferraris at Le Mans in Europe, the big race. And Peter ultimately designed the Cobra Daytona Coupe. The Cobra won the 24 Hours of Le Mans, as well as numerous other wins, then went on to set a land speed record at Bonneville. Now, do you remember me mentioning the power of connections? The car I currently race was raced by Jim Fitzgerald <clears throat> excuse me, in the 1960s. Jim and Peter Brock, they raced together for Dotson on teams like Brock Racing and Sharp Racing. These two teams shaped Nissan in the direction that Nissan took for years and will be part of the racing community forever. But getting back to that Cobra that Pete designed and won Le Mans with, the car I'm talking about that he designed is CSX-2287. That's the same Cobra that Dr. Simeon owns now. So this is the connection. But let me ask today's audience something. Have you ever loved someone so much? Someone you work day and night for? Well, I have two boys, and that's how I feel. My awesome wife and I have two amazing boys. Well, my son Drew is on the show right now. Drew's a senior at St. Joe's University in Philadelphia. He has been the CIO, Chief Information Officer, of AutopartsNuts.com for three years. He wants to compare new and old performance car information. Drew, glad you can make the show this morning. Hey, glad to be here. Um, so, I mean, seeing as though we're having Pete Brock and Dr. Simeon on the show, I mean, both very famous people. And Pete Brock, I mean, he designed the C2 Corvette Stingray, and Simeon has one of the largest vintage uh, car collections out there. I thought it'd be really cool to just compare a couple of old 60s iconic cars to their modern counterparts to show you how far we've come. Definitely. For instance, I thought comparing both quarter mile times and fuel economy would be interesting and fun as well. And seeing that connection between Carol Shelby and Pete Brock, I thought we might as well start with the Shelby. Uh, and sure. actually one of my personal favorites, the 1965 Shelby GT350 Mustang. Now, the original Mustang was introduced in 1964 and a half, and only half a year later, Carroll Shelby got his hands on it and worked his magic. He took the standard 289 V8, added his own little tweaks to it, and bumped the horsepower to 306, and the engine had a red line of 6,500 RPM. Mm-hmm. Both very impressive statistics for you know, the time, you know, very, very hot car. And this was actually the car that got me into the car world and into cars. It's just one of the most beautiful shapes I've ever seen. And I remember going on Google and just looking up pictures of 65 Fastbacks and 65 GT350s and just looking at them for hours. My dad actually had a 65 GT350 race car and he kept it in the garage. And, you know, I would just go out there and just stare at it for hours. It's just such a beautiful car. I was completely infatuated with it. Now, fast forward to modern times. Uh, late last year, Ford introduced the GT350 and GT350R Mustangs, which are based on the 
new Mustang platform with the independent rear suspension and all these really cool technologies that weren't available back in the 60s. And the current car has a 5.2 liter or 318 cubic inch V8 with 526 horsepower and a flat plane crank, which is what you find in Ferrari engines, mm-hmm. which is very, you know, it, it spins up really quick, high uh, bread line. I think it's 8,250 RPM, which is, you yeah, know, which is crazy. Amazing. Absolutely crazy. And because of safety equipment and technology and regulations in current cars, uh, the new Mustang's a lot heavier. The original was 27, 2,800 pounds, and the new one's 3,700 pounds. So that's a difference of 1,000 pounds. That's that's quite a big difference. That's huge. Yeah. But, I mean, with the, the horsepower advantage, it still gets really good um, performance, actually very good performance. If you just look at the quarter mile times, the 1965 car did it in 14.7 seconds at 90 miles per hour, which is very respectful, respectable for um, current times and very fast for the time. What uh, you're saying, you Drew, at, is that, that if I had a new, a new Mustang, I can get to work earlier and save, save more fuel. Is that what you're telling me? Oh, 100%, 100%. <laughs> So, I mean, now the current one does 12.1 seconds at 119.6 miles per hour. Now, that trap speed is only five miles per hour short of the top speed of the 1965 car. That just blows my mind. And then, obviously, because of how efficient cars are now and because of the gearing and such, the fuel economies are completely different. The 65 car did 12.8 miles per gallon, which was definitely fine back then, but abysmal for today and now the new one does 21 miles per gallon like can you imagine having a, a car that does zero to 60 in under four seconds doing 21 miles per gallon i mean that performance was reserved for ferraris and lamborghinis 10 15 years ago and now you can get it in a mustang for fifty thousand dollars it's pretty impressive hmm. yeah that is that is incredible that's incredible drew now drew's uh, a senior as i mentioned at saint joe's university and uh he's graduating in may and I'm, which i'm where my wife and i are extremely proud of him computer science major, and he's, for a senior project, he's currently uh, developing a car app that's very cool that you could use from your Android phone and tell all the statistics of the car and RPMs and heat and uh, the whole thing, you know, any type of error codes, but uh, it's kind of a secret, and uh, we're not going to talk about that much, but um, Drew, what what is your favorite, uh, what's your favorite car? What would you say? Well, honestly, I Well, you know what? We have a commercial breakthrough, so let's get into that commercial, and we'll be back and we'll hear about your favorite car. Thanks for listening to the Car Guys Radio Show. Welcome back to the Christian Car Guy Radio Show. I'm Andy Vitek from Auto Parts Nuts. And on the line today, we're finishing up an interview with my one of my favorite uh, favorite people in the world, my son Drew. Drew? Hey, how's it going? Good. You know, I was I wanted to answer that question that you asked me before the break. You said, What's my favorite car? Yeah. And you know, I'd say 
1967 GT500. That's a be, great car. That's, that's my favorite one. It has to be one of the best-looking cars out there. Great car. Um, great but car. continuing with this theme, I was thinking, because we're having Pete Brock on later, who designed the C2 Stingray Corvette, I wanted to compare the Stingray to the new Stingray that was actually released a couple of years ago, which is a beautiful car. Uh, now, the Corvette was originally introduced to compete with Ford's Thunderbird in the 50s, and it had a six-cylinder, eventually had a V8, and that's, you know, the recipe that we all know and love. Uh, now, for the second generation, in 63, that's when Pete designed it, we were introduced to the Stingray, which was got to be one of the most beautiful cars out there. Split window, such an iconic shape. Honestly, probably one of the most iconic shapes in American car history. Um, and, you know, Corvette has always been America's supercar. Always a great performer, great looker, piece with Ferraris, Lamborghinis, Jaguars. And, you know, that still holds today. The, the current generation C7 Stingray, beautiful car, has fantastic performance, and, you know, kind of still follows that same recipe from the 60s. Mm-hmm. So let's see what performance you can get from your Chevy dealer now compared to what you were able to get in 63. Now, the 63 Stingray could do the quarter mile in 14.5 seconds at 100 miles per hour. Which is actually, that's very impressive, and it's still impressive today. That's that's a quick car. And, you know, looking at those stats, I'm, I'm pretty blown away because the the old GT350 seemed a bit slow, but this is this is very impressive. And now the current car is 12.2 at 117.3, which is, you know, pretty yeah, darn fast. significantly different. And, and what's the fuel, fuel economy of those, the difference? Well, the new Chevy, the new Corvette has, a technology called cylinder deactivation. So at highway speeds, it can actually shut off four of its cylinders and mm-hmm. form like a four-cylinder car. So you can actually get 29 miles per gallon out of this car, which is, I mean, that, that's like a... Yeah, that's amazing. That's like a hybrid almost. And the original mm-hmm. car got 14, so half the wow. gas mileage. Wow. So well, that's true. Impressive. You know what? Thanks. Everything you've, you've, you've shared with us, that's it's really incredible. And uh, we're really proud of you graduating, uh, coming up. And uh, listen to the rest of the show, because we have Dr. Simeone coming on next, right now. And uh, I'd love to love to start my interview with, uh, with Fred. Fred, are you there? Yes, I am. How are you this morning? I'm really good. How about you? I'm fine. Thank you for joining us. You know, I, I uh, really appreciate you. We're going to have you on the third segment as well. Um, but, uh, Doc, uh, you know, my favorite car in the museum... Uh, has to be the Cobra Daytona. Maybe it's not the most uh, rare, most expensive, but uh, this is a car that I really relate to. Um, give us your perspective on that, on the Cobra. Well, the Cobra Daytona uh, clicks all the boxes. First of all, history. History because it won for us the first, it helped win for us the first world championship that makes, which was a big deal when you consider international racing was so important around the world, perhaps less so in America than elsewhere. And we had never really, uh, the series started in 1953 and we had never really won that. So that's history. It's landmark for America. Mm-hmm. Secondly, uh, performance, um, the, it was based with just a Ford 289 engine and a Cobra Roadster chassis, but because of the uh, way the the fabulous way the body was designed and styled, 
It became a performance champion, going up to 180 miles an hour at times, and really beating just about every other uh, car of its type in the world as it proved to win the championship it makes. Uh, beauty, I don't even have to go in. There. I don't have to even say words about that because you just have to look at it. And, yeah, of course, to me, the most important thing about the car, even though it, it's, it's, its guts underneath are pretty much Ford with some modification, smart modification. But the body design is absolutely landmark. I mean, there, there at that time, there was nothing like it. Uh, there were some cars that were just entering the GT category that had a, the basic shape. But the difference between good and bad, the difference between a 95 and a 100 is the biggest difference of all. And that car just got a 100 in terms of design. And we have mm-hmm. to thank that to a young guy who uh, wasn't wasn't out of his uh, design training very long, single-handedly uh, made that car a world champion. And, of course, that's Peter Brock. Yeah. yeah. So those are all the boxes. Performance, design, history, you can't beat it. And I can understand why it's your favorite. Yeah, I, I just I just absolutely love uh love that vehicle. When you uh when you when you purchased that and brought it into the museum, uh what type of uh you know restoration did you do to that car? Well, uh we it had been in storage in the nice nice warm climate in California for thirty years inside of a storage facility. So it didn't have the usual environmental wear and tear that uh, has happens when a car is outside or used a lot. It had very little use. Mm-hmm. Uh, Shelby sold it to um, an individual who uh, they cleaned it up. It, it had some uh, rough wear as a result of it being Daytona, which was its last race. I mean, excuse me, Bonneville, which was its right. last race. Then the Shelby cleaned it up, repainted it, sold it to an individual who didn't use it much, sold it to another individual who not only didn't use it, but uh, couldn't really live with its performance being too radical for him. And then finally it went into storage. So when I looked at it, uh, I could see all kinds of oh, Doc, stuff on it. We're going to break for a commercial. Hold your okay. thought, Doc. We're going to have you on in the third segment. This is Andy Vitek of Auto Parts Nuts with the Christian Car Guy Radio Show. We'll be right back. Back to the Christian Car Guy Radio Show, and on the line we have Dr. Simeon, and we were talking about the restoration of that '64 uh, Cobra Daytona. Uh, Fred, just continue what you were uh, talking about with well, that Cobra. And how it well, well, I was almost finished. The bottom line is that when we uh, saw it after 30 years of storage, we cleaned it up, and we saw a lot of evidence of its history. You know, its many mm-hmm. races. And then it's wonderful a performance at Bonneville where it set uh, 23 records. So we decided since it had been preserved pretty well for 30 years in California that we would clean it up and restore it mechanically 
which meant really taking just about every piece apart, cleaning it up, and then putting it back together again, making it perfectly safe but not shiny and new because the other the other five that exist have all been restored like new, and we thought we would leave this one like it was when it uh, raced. Mm-hmm. So that's mm-hmm. the way it stands to this day. But yeah, let me it's ask still you a very you, usable car. Oh, it's it's just it's just fantastic. When when you first started it up, what was that? What what did you feel? Well, um, well there you know you get very uh, sentimental, and we knew that it hadn't run since uh, the um, early seventies. Uh, it was an exciting feeling. You takes really? you back to those wonderful days when Shelby. And Ford dominated international racing for those uh, four years. Oh, Never yeah. again to be repeated by an American. Absolutely, absolutely. Great and the day. way the car, the way the car is displayed in the museum, and the history, the way you can walk through and just go through history, it is truly incredible. And as I mentioned earlier, um, my wife and I, have, you know, we've attended numerous functions at the museum and. It doesn't matter if you're, you know, that you see the children, you see the older people. I mean, they just love. The, the display and the, the the richness of the history it's just it's an incredible uh, incredible you've done a credit an incredible job on the museum um do you have any new additions in the works right now um, coming in no we, we we're devoting most of uh, we are a charity uh, all mm-hmm. of those cars have been donated to a charitable foundation so that um we have to run pretty much um on uh, visitors who come there and events that we have sold or that we that we rent the building for, but we don't have a whole lot of income, so we spend pretty much whatever we can uh, to keep the place going, and that precludes uh, buying any new cars, especially cars of the type that belong with the other ones that are in the museum. Sure, and you know I had a, a, a funny uh, memory came back uh, as we're, we're speaking here. I remember years ago. Uh, we, you and I just were having a conversation. I think we were at the Pittsburgh Vintage Grand Prix, and we were walking down the paddock. And I, and I said, "What's your favorite car?" And you, you told the funniest story. And this just came to my mind as we're, we're talking here. You said, and this was when you were you were at the hospital, and you were you left the hospital, and you, you said, I, "I would go down there at lunchtime and pop a chair, and I would just sit." And I think it was the Bugatti. Uh, it was Alfa Romeo. The Alfa Romeo. I'm Alfa sorry. Romeo. Yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I just remember you. It was funny because you said, you know, I just pop a chair and I sit there and I open my sandwich up and hear how humble, you know, and just sit there and just look at the Alfa, um, the mm-hmm. lines. And, and what year was that? Nine, uh, the, the car is 1938. And I probably got, I don't know when we had that conversation, but it was probably in the 70s or 80s. I got had the car since. The mid seventies, so it was probably seventies or eighties. It always, it always, and still has the same fascination, as do several others, including the Daytona Coupe. Mm-hmm. So, what's your favorite grouping of the cars that you have? I know you have a t- well, Ferraris and all this, like you know, the uh, group I, of vehicles. You know, the way the well, the way that the the museum is set up by groupings. Um, mm-hmm. uh, the biggest is the Le Mans, where we have ten cars that actually race at Le Mans from 1932 to 1970. But the best grouping I have is called the Winter Circle. Uh, it's it's a circle enclosed by checkered flag drapes. And it just luckily, we had a winner, major race winner car from each of the five major countries that raced. So um, mm-hmm. they're all grouped together just because they were, they were winners. 
and they happen to be uh, among the best cars in the collection. So that's my right. favorite grouping. And it, how far would you say if someone was was coming into to Philadelphia to visit the the attractions? And on the uh, early part of our show, I mentioned you know that your your, your museum is a must see you know attraction of Philadelphia right now. Um, you know what's the distance between they land at the airport, they come into Center City. How long does it take if them to they, get to your museum? If, if they go from the airport to the museum, it's about uh, seven to ten minutes. Seven to ten minutes. We're, yeah, we're 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 very close to the airport. We see the planes landing. We're very close to the airport. From Center City, it's about fifteen to twenty minutes. From the airport, it's about uh, under ten minutes. Maybe right. just close and to five. I've been at a few functions, and the one function I was at was a Catholic organization. Uh, uh, fundraiser for for the school system, and there must have been 250 people there. You know, so you have a, yeah, a we, huge. Facility we can hold up that. to a thousand. And in the back, we have we call it a track, but it's really a big parking lot, and that will hold 300. So we mm-hmm. can entertain a large crowd. Right, right. Um, you know, Doctor, you and I, uh, and I'm going to tell the listeners today. We, Doctor Simeon and I were, were speaking the other day, and and. Uh, we had a pretty pretty heart to heart conversation about faith, and um, you know, being part of the Christian Car Guy show, I, I, I always bring up the uh, you know the question about faith, and um, you know, it's a it's a question that some people are very private about, and some people love to tout it, which is which is awesome, and I respect each you know each uh, perspective. But Doctor Simeon, being a, a you know he's a brain this, this gentleman's a, a brain surgeon, a man of science, and and what you told me, I just want you to share that, if you don't mind, your story. Well, yeah. as we got into the discussion, I had to mention, and sometimes on a show like this, you apologize for not being a totally devout Christian who can recite uh, recite the Bible and adheres to every evangelical principle. Well, to some extent, medicine, scientific medicine, takes you away from some of that, you know. You have to deal with stories of of, uh, of recreation and stories of um, resurrection, and and some of those are are in conflict with science. But Christianity certainly is. The principles of Christianity are what we live by. And the other thing that really made me uh, really really brought out faith in me was as you work on the complex organism, uh, particularly the brain. And I think uh, the example I use with you is the eye. The eye is a, a highly complex organism. It involves lenses and irises that click and retinas that see things and circulation and fluids that keep it all together and then complex connections in the brain so that your eyes move and your eyelids blink. And that is supposed to be the result of random uh, random uh, mutations. In other words, that certainly that wasn't planned and random mutations happened and all of the Oh, somehow, after a period of, I don't know how many billion years, you go from uh, individual organisms to something as complex as the eye. Well, the eye, to me, to our brain, is so complex that it's impossible that it all got together through random mutations, which, of course, is the theory, the evolutionary theory that's very popular. I mean, there has to be some kind of force or some kind of direction to make the the organism come together in such a logical and to our weak brain uh, complex. And when I say weak brain, we have 
uh, some 12 billion neurons up there that have to find their way and get connected. And as I say, it takes faith to realize that there's an organizational plan mm -hmm. that does that. Now, that doesn't have to be an anthropomorphic organizational plan. It doesn't have to be planned by something that looks like a, a human, but it certainly, in my opinion, has to be governed by some other type of higher force that, quite frankly, we don't understand. And, the, and Christianity gives you a way, an intermediate way to try to relate to that, to something we do understand, which is the activities of, of human beings. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's, just the, and it's an incredible perspective from a man of science. And, uh, and you, you, know, you mentioned in the conversation that a lot of uh, you know, scientists and, and the, the brightest minds out there, they actually, through their research, of, and they, they may start off as atheists or just non-believers, and then they, they work themselves, uh, you know, day and night trying mm -hmm. to figure this out or prove they're right, and they actually, you know, start start having faith because they, they, they realize that there is something, you know, there is there is a God, there is God. Mm -hmm. you know? So um, I just think that your perspective is, is uh, greatly appreciated. And your time on the show was greatly appreciated. Um, I do have, I do have uh, something to tell you, and I, I haven't told you this yet, Doc. But I'm, I'm I'm working on a spot for you and I on Jay Leno's garage. What do you think of that? Oh, that would be great. Jay's a good friend. <laughs> and I pack your bags, Doc. You and I are going. That's great. Yeah, That's I appreciate it. And okay. the Christian Car Guy Radio Show with Andy Vitek. Thank you. Well, we have promised you all show that we're going to have Peter Brock, and now the great news is we do. But before we get to that, just a second, got to tell you all this information is at ChristianCarGuy.com. So if you want to find out more about what we're talking about or links to all the resources that we have, it's all at ChristianCarGuy.com. But Andy, let's go ahead and introduce our guest. All right. You know, earlier in the show, I spoke about uh, Peter Brock's history. Uh, so because of our time uh, constraint here, I, I wanted to get to a few questions uh, really quickly. Uh, Peter, how you doing? I'm doing great. We're out here in Henderson, and the temperature's about 80 degrees outside, and it's blue uh, sky. It's the place, I'll tell you. Excellent, excellent. Well, you know, you heard uh, Fred Simeone uh, earlier on the show. He was talking about the Cobra. You know, that the Cobra that you designed for the Shelby Group back in the 60s, and now it's in his museum, you know, for everyone to see. And I, I thought it would be appropriate to ask, you know, Peter, how in the world did you have the vision to design such a car? And was it a rendition of uh, the, the uh, Corvette Stingray Coupe or vice versa? No, it actually had very little to do with the Stingray. Uh, I had uh, have always been sort of a student of history and, of course, with my interest in cars, I had come across some uh, rather complex papers that were written in the late 30s by some German scientists uh, who mm -hmm. were studying aerodynamics for automobiles. And uh, I couldn't read the German, but I could understand the numbers, and they had a very low coefficient of drag. And I thought that would be applicable to a new car because nobody had ever used that information. It had all been lost after World War II. And I simply applied those numbers to uh, the Cobra chassis and uh, came up with a design. 
but it, it wow. was all in, all inspiration of it was designed in the late 1930s. Wow. So so your your inspiration to the Corvette Stingray was was very similar. Well, that was actually uh, a direction of Bill Mitchell, of course, at GM Styling. He had gone over to the Turin Show in uh, in 1957 and had seen all these beautiful little streamliners that were being built by, you know, the, the mostly Italian Fiat-powered record breakers, and uh, they were all had this very uh, crisp built line all the way around, and little aerodynamic shapes over each tire. And he just mm-hmm. uh, came back with a bunch of photographs, and that was the brief. He said, "Let's let's take this theme and run with it." And of course, uh, there were several designers in the studio I was working for, but in the end, he uh, ended up choosing the design that I had had come up with, and uh, we ran with it and developed it into the Corvette. Wow, that's what an amazing story! Uh, what do you? I mean, where do you see the future of performance at this point? I mean, you see the. You know the C7 Corvette and the, and the Z06 winning all these uh, you know, championships and the Nurburgring and so on. I mean, we're, well, do you have there any... isn't a there isn't a better car made in the world right now uh, from a technology standpoint, really, than the than the new Corvette for the money that you pay for that car. It's absolutely the finest engineered car in the world, and it's. Yeah. I mean, it does everything. It has incredible performance. It's a wonderful, comfortable driver. It has all the fit and finish of the finest European supercars, so uh, it's it's going to be pretty tough to top anything that they're doing right now in that direction. So I think that um, we will see more uh, going in the direction of uh, more efficiency with hybrids and that sort of thing. Mm-hmm. So you think more of hybrid technology rather than like you know the Tesla and so on, you know, with the, the full electric. You think it'll be more like a combination? Yes, like what, definitely. What BMW has yeah. now. Mm-hmm. Yep. Mm-hmm. Wow, that's that's pretty interesting. Now you recently put it, uh, out a book, '63 Corvette Stingray to Cobra. Yes. Uh, could you share share a little bit with us on that? That's a. I'm well, going to pick that up myself that, here. That really tells the whole history of how the Corvette came about with uh, with Bill Mitchell back at uh, at uh, GM, and of course uh, Harlow uh, uh, Curtis was then the, the president of General Motors and. Uh, they had decided that uh, they'd make a industry-wide ban on all performance and uh, had cut off all development on uh, anything having to do with performance. But Bill Mitchell was just coming into his uh, reign at GM Styling, taking over from um, the, the, the previous years that had been all pretty, pretty, pretty bland stuff. And Mitchell mm-hmm. decided that he was going to change the whole look of GM styling, but he had Harlow Curse in the way, so he decided that he would build the Corvette in secret, and he couldn't take it upstairs to the main uh, design studios with Chevrolet, so he took it downstairs where all the young interns were working in the studio I was working in, oh, and wow. uh, it gave us that brief to design the car, and based on what he had learned over in uh, in Italy at the Turin show, and from that mm-hmm. until we developed the uh, first prototype, a Corvette, which eventually became the, the car. It took six years from the original sketch that I did in November of 57 until the time it finally came out. So it was, so in, in 57, you said? 57, you were designing the 63 Corvette. Exactly, yes. Wow. So it took that long it, to evolve. It took that long to get it through uh Partly because of the bureaucracy at General Motors and the 
the time it took to convince management that it was a, a viable product. So when we built the prototype, that was all done in secret. And then when they finally discovered that he had designed the car, they said, you cannot put the Chevrolet name on it. You cannot put the Corvette name on it. So he called it Stingray. And they said, and if you're going to run this car on the track, you have to pay for it yourself. So Bill Mitchell went totally against uh, uh, management's edicts on it, ran the car himself, called it the Stingray. And, of course, it got such incredible public acclaim from styling because it was so far advanced that he completely uh, took management, turned them around, and realized that this was going to be the halo car for General Motors. And his key is starting a whole new design line for General Motors. And I think it was probably one of his most successful designs. He mm-hmm. did dozens yeah, agree. of great cars, you know, but that, that was the car that really made Bill Mitchell was the, was the Corvette Stingray 63. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, with all your accomplishments, I mean, you've, you know, you probably look at yourself and say, yeah, it's just a normal day at the office. But from, from our perspective on this side in the racing world, and you've been a role model of mine for years racing uh, one of your partners, Jim Fitzgerald's car, um, you know, what's your biggest, biggest accomplishment? Well, uh, you know, it's also whatever the next project is, but there was one unfinished project that we did at General Motors, um, which I, I had, you know, I'd gone to work there when I was 19, and I knew what it was like to try to buy a, a neat car when you're 19 years old and you don't have any money. Mm-hmm. You don't, you have to go out and buy a used car and you're not going to work on it yourself so you don't have tools or a jack or anything like that. So I explained, uh, to the idea of building a student car because with the uh, efficiency that they've got in in numbers, you know, the economy of scale, we could build a beautiful little car for $1,000 that any student could buy. And uh, so we made a couple of prototypes like that, and it was a fabulous car. Uh, That's great. And we got, got as far as building them full size. But Harlow Curtis came along and looked at it and said, nah, we don't build small cars at General Motors, and that killed the project. <laughs> But that was, that was probably it. the most exciting project that I was involved in, and nobody ever got to see it. That's great. Well, Peter, you've done many tremendous things in your life so far, as I mentioned, and things that literally shaped the history of the automotive world, especially the racing world. I mean, again, you're well, one of our Daytona, role models. You know? Daytona Coupe did that, I'll tell you, because it's it been the only car that the ideas of aerodynamics have transferred over to today's car. I mean, you look at a Toyota... Prius, for example, and that's a Daytona Coupe. It's a little aerodynamic shape with a chopped-off tail at the back. And that's the most efficient package for that size. No matter what you say, I still can't buy a Prius. I'm sorry. but <laughs> Peter, no, buy the Honda thank version. You. Thank you so much. Looking. <laughs> you bet. Peter, you know, thank out. you for being on the show and sharing your stories with us. I, I really appreciate it. Oh, wow, it's been an exciting show all the way around today on the Christian Car Guy Show. I'm so thankful, Andy, that for these amazing guests that you've lined up for us, how God's blessed us. So, again, we thank you all, you know, and one of the ways that God's blessed us with you, the listeners, those of you who had a chance to share with us today, um, I can't tell you what it means to us to have you out there listening. So thanks again. Remember, slow down. Jesus walked everywhere he went and got it all done in 33 years. And thank you for listening to the Christian Car Guy Show, christiancarguy.com. 